On today's episode, we have a data scientist who developed an algorithm to monitor the authenticity of Amazon customer reviews, and he made the Forbes magazine top 30 under 30 list. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed, organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. I've got a guest today, Saud. Saud, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing just ducky. I say that every now and then. I think that's my dad's phrase, but... <laughs> People get a kick out of it. So anyways, I'm doing delightful. That's my other thing I say. But anyways, I want to just start off really quick. You know, if somebody Googles your name, you're like on some Forbes list of 30 under 30. So like it's 30 under 30. What? What was that? Oh, it was uh, two categories, but it was in the e-commerce and retail category that was selected for the 30 under 30 list. Like the most influential people or something like that? Is, is there an actual title for it? Yes, for the, for the year. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, so you know, we're in the uh, we're in the midst of somebody uh, semi-famous over here. I, I like it, oh, but no. but it's with <laughs> it's rightfully so, and it's not from your music career, which we'll get into it in a little <laughs> bit. But but before we get into what you actually do, what I like doing when I start these episodes is I like getting everybody's kind of backstory because we're all you know whether we're Amazon sellers or or we're we're somehow related to e-commerce. Yeah there's no two of us who started off the same. So, you know, sometimes people who are trying to think about e-commerce are like, ah, you know what, these people are groomed for e-commerce or, or they've got this natural thing. But what I try and show is like every single one of our guests has a completely different background. And I'm sure a background that maybe some people here might relate to. And they're like, wait a minute. Wow. They, they have this different background, but we all kind of end up in the same e-commerce ecosystem. So let, let, let's take it back. Where, where, where did you grow up? I know you're in Jersey now. Is that where you grew up? No, actually, uh, so I grew up in uh, Kuwait. My dad is from Kuwait, and my mom is from Poland. So I split my time up uh, in both countries growing oh, up. Hold, hold on, hold on. How yeah. did they meet? How, how does somebody from Kuwait meet somebody from Poland? So my dad was an exchange uh, university student, and he met my mom in a university in Poland. And that's how, it, how the Romans wow. basically. That is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Okay, so then they moved to Kuwait? Yes. Then they moved to Kuwait. Uh, I went to a boarding school in Kuwait and um, me and my brother, you know, we just spent uh, our first 18 years there. And then we moved to the United States to study in college. And when you were growing up in Kuwait, what was you know, your career ambitions? Like, hey, when I grow up, I would like to be an astronaut. Or what were you thinking? Uh, so I actually, I got sucked into the computer world at the age of 12. I started programming at that age. I wanted to uh, make games for me and my brother. It was a Dragon Ball Z game. That was the first program I wrote. And then I steadily nice. got, I got into like entrepreneurship. I actually built a couple programs. I sold them online. Uh, people from the United States were sending me money all the way in Kuwait. And I was selling those programs uh, all across the world. And that's how I made actually my first pocket money. And then I got into um, vulnerability research, which is, uh, you know, finding vulnerabilities in very popular software packages such as Microsoft Office, um, Adobe PDF Reader, things that are, things that are used for, by everyone, you know, on the Internet and in their office. 
and I found a couple uh, bugs and I got bounties for finding those bugs. So that, that's how I spent most this, of my This was time. when you were already in the States or when you were still in Kuwait? This was in uh, in, in Kuwait when I was around 16, 17. Um, and then, <laughs> oh my God. You were yeah. 16 years old and finding bugs in Microsoft software. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I was really, uh, I don't know. I, I got really sucked into it and I loved um, reverse engineering and breaking up these programs. Uh, like it just, it just showed me so much and I learned a lot from it. I learned the foundations of programming. I learned the foundations of computer architecture. Now I'm assuming you were somewhat of a prodigy or is this just typical for uh, a Kuwaiti high school student to be this, uh, into these kind of things? I, I mean, I would not call myself a prodigy. I just, I just was really interested and very curious as a as a young uh, child, and I would, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of um, a lot of kudos to my parents, especially my mom, because she she would buy me these college books whenever I asked for them, you know, for computer programming and stuff like that, and I just kept reading them, and it was, um, you know, it was just part of my upbringing. I was really interested and very curious. This is pretty cool. So then you moved here to go to university or, or college, as we call it out here, and yeah. what was your major? So I, I wanted to move to the U.S. I had a couple options. You know, Kuwait used to be a British colony, so they have a very uh, close ties to uh, the U.K. And a lot of people from Kuwait go to, you know, um, London, uh, Nottingham. My brother went to England for his master's degree, for example. And I, we were in a British school, so we had really close ties. But since I was so into computers, I wanted to be at the land of uh, how, you know, the Internet. This was where it was invented in the U.S., and I actually started uh, by with my major computer engineering in Oregon State University for two years. And then I moved and transferred to Monmouth University in New Jersey and went full throttle software engineering rather than electrical computer engineering. So you're a beaver for a couple of years. Yes, I was a beaver and my brother was a duck, believe it or not. Oh, uh, Oregon University. Yes, he was in he was in University of Oregon in Eugene, um, you know, Nike, uh, where they're headquartered. Yep. And uh, a lot of people used to joke about me and him because we were like in you know they basically whenever they play each other, it's like a big ruckus over there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, so cool. So now, did you end up getting to uh, finish your degree? Yes, I. So I I wanted to you know computer engineering while it's a really cool major it's a bit outdated in the modern world uh, a lot of the hardware uh, engineering is now turning into software there aren't as many electrical engineers um, available on the market as there are software engineers there's a lot of demand for software right now uh, hardware has been okay. basically in this eternal loop of innovation and the innovation has kind of uh, halted you know it's uh, Moore's law has stopped. And uh, I was really more interested in programming. So I, I wanted to make the move to software engineering. That's why I moved to um, New Jersey, where I actually went mm -hmm. to a college that had only one engineering degree, and it was software engineering. But that engineering program was powered by all the ex-AT&T Bell Labs staff. So these were, um, you know, like pioneers in AI, pioneers in natural language processing. These people were in the 80s Bell Labs, you know, like hardcore research labs in New Jersey and in Fort Monmouth here, which is a really known fort where a lot of the military contracts were being done. So it was it was just crazy to see that. And I was really inspired by the staff at Monmouth University. Cool, cool. I remember uh, I lived in Brooklyn for a couple of years and actually there was a, a small college there, St. Francis, where one of my high school Yes. Uh, buddies was playing basketball at, and, and it was the same league as Monmouth. I remember they would come there. I, I forgot what the league was, but but they would it would be Monmouth would come and, and play them. That's other otherwise I wouldn't have known what that school is. I mean, everybody knows Oregon State, but okay. So uh, upon graduation, what was 
what was like one of your you know, like coolest jobs before you know what you're doing now? So interestingly enough, I actually started uh, Fake Spot, and not in its current form, but it's in its first baby form uh, in my bedroom as I was finishing up my master's degree. So I graduated with my undergrad in 2013, and then I chose to do the master's degree in software engineering. And while I was just one month before graduate, graduating, I started the website fakespot.com. And um, it's, it's an interesting story how that started because I ordered a couple products from Amazon, and this was around December 2014. And one of them was a supplement. And this supplement looked like, uh, you know, it had hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon. And I would never question the trustworthiness of reviews on Amazon before this event. Mm-hmm. And then this, I got this product in person. And it looked like someone created it in a garage. The packaging was falling apart. It looked like someone printed it off mm. its own, you know, home printer. And then I looked into the pill content. And it looked like someone put in wood dust from a carpentry shop. So to me, it made no sense. Absolutely. Like, why does this have hundreds of five-star reviews? It made no sense. So I went back, looked at all the reviews, and I was like, this is some, you know, really, really suspicious stuff happening here. A lot of these reviews look uh, you know, supremely fake. It, this company looks like a fly-by-night seller that just appeared one day and started selling this product. And I basically got duped. So I created the program. You know, I, I would always create programs in my life growing up forever for whatever i wanted to automate and uh this was like one of these uh, things where i just wanted to automate reading reviews and actually telling me if there were fake reviews or not so i created this ai program back then in my bedroom as i was gra- graduating from college yeah i mean that, that's, that's typical of, of what you know normal normal people do when when, when, they're, <laughs> when they're about to graduate college just, just like you know a typical high school student you know Helps debug Microsoft, you know, just typical stuff we're hearing today. All right, that's cool. Now, now, dur- during this time, is this when you were, were doing music as well? Yes, I was doing music all throughout my college years, uh, playing guitar, um, you know, doing vocals and stuff like that and producing music. Uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of parallels between uh, music production on a digital format, like on a DAW on, on your computer, um, with programming. Very similar patterns appear here and there, and it's really analogous. It's it's really interesting to see that. Cool, cool. Yeah, you should check out. We we had uh, my friend Slushy on on our podcast, and the interesting note for me was how how much the music industry and his journey actually parallels the entrepreneurial journey as well. You know, somebody would think like, why is Slushy on a an Amazon podcast? But it was almost identical the kind of journey that he went to that a typical person who's getting like into Amazon goes to, but. Anyways, let's go back, you know, speaking of Amazon, you know, th- this, a lot of, most of our listeners are, are Amazon sellers or other e-commerce sellers and, and reviews is probably the, the number one, like sticky point. Like we all know that, Hey, when you launch a product, if nobody knows your brand, I mean, you could have a brand name and nobody cares about the reviews. It's like, Hey, this is a Nike thing. I don't care if they have three out of five stars or yeah. they have zero reviews. I know this is a Nike thing. I, I, I trust it. But but for most third-party sellers, like the reviews are one of the most important things to get that social proof and to have people trust them. So it's a very, very you know hot topic. And, and so let's talk a little bit about that. So you basically, you know, during your last year of college and then throughout the last you know few years, you've been developing, I guess, kind of like, what is it? Is it an AI that can kind of uh, see how many reviews might be not genuine or what's the story behind that? 
Yeah, so the story is basically I got duped while buying on Amazon and I didn't want anyone else to get duped in my family or my friends. And that's how FakeSpot came to be. I, you know, bought the domain name, created the program. And it happens to be that a lot of people got duped the same way and they wanted a program that would automate this for them. And it's, it's, that's basically how it grew from the early days. And, you know, I had a full-time job while the website was growing in my first couple of years until I actually decided to quit my job and work on this full time. And I'm, you know, my, one of my passions is artificial intelligence and natural language processing. So to work on this kind of project, it's really exciting and a very intriguing topic to find fraud on a social, social level, not on a, you know, like a, let's say payment transaction or something like that, that has been mm -hmm. tried before so many times. This is something like completely novel. And it was just really, really exciting. I would spend, you know, every time coming back from work and I worked on Wall Street, uh, you know, come back at 8 p.m. I would work till 2 a.m. just on fake spot whenever I returned home. So I was really uh, basically in love with the project. Cool, cool. So what was the criteria? I, I mean, obviously, you know, AI eventually is going to learn things, but there's got to be a starting point. So what were some of those starting points? Like what, what would you program in to kind of detect if a review is fake or not? Yeah, so there are so many attributes that you can look for when, when you're reading in reviews, especially with a computer program. And when we're, when we're analyzing reviews on fakespot.com, we're looking at all the reviews um, that the user supplied, the product that they supplied. We're looking at the brand. We're looking at product information that we've had uh, from our previous analysis on the reviewers. And we also have information about the reviewers themselves. So we will know if uh, certain reviewers have been part of promotional campaigns, uh, you know, promotional uh, where they get product for free and then they write a review in exchange for writing a five-star review. And, you know, uh, we can talk about this a little bit later, but there's nothing wrong with seeding your product with the reviews because we understand that that is um, the way you need to compete in the e-commerce market right now, right? A lot of, like you mentioned uh, previously, a lot of brands, when they launch on Amazon, they don't really have a reputation set yet, but those reviews basically make or break your product. And FakeSpot uh, will always promote those brands that have a natural progression of reviews, um, natural you know, consumer satisfaction. And Amazon does that also very, very similarly with their algorithms when they you know, pick their Amazon choice product or top rank product and certain keywords and stuff like that. So we do uh, promote the natural sense of when reviews should appear in, in products. And we look at so many different attributes to make that designation. Okay. Interesting. Now, what are some of the, the things that, you know, maybe a seller should be aware of, you know, like we, we always tell all Amazon sellers, Hey, don't do what other people do. Don't be getting friends and family to, yeah. to leave your reviews. You know, anybody with a brain can figure out that, especially Amazon's algorithm that that's, you know, fake, you can get, you can get suspended on there, but what are some other things that that you know sellers should not do or they should be be careful about even maybe where they're getting real reviews but just because they're so cheap or or the way they got it is so shady it almost might seem like it's a fake review. Yeah, so I think what would be useful is to um you know since we've been doing this on FakeSpot, you know, I've been on the project for around close to 6 years now. And it will be useful to actually go in history, uh, go back in time of how re reviews have evolved on Amazon. And I think this will benefit a lot of the listeners here. So um, when, the, when the website was launched in 2014, 2015, 
reviews were increasing in a really, really uh, fast manner on Amazon. And the reason that happened, it coincided with uh, Amazon inviting all, all these third-party sellers from uh, international marketplaces. And I'm talking more you know, about Chinese, China sellers and uh, Asian-based sellers. They were basically drop, drop shipping their uh, products into Amazon. And Amazon basically took care of that whole process. And they onboarded them on their platform. But what Amazon didn't see happening or foresee happening is the amount of fake reviews coming with all those sellers. And we have a lot of uh, sellers that contacted us in those times. Uh, and I'm talking about US-based sellers that were in certain categories, niche categories that they completely dominated for the last 10 years or so. And then they had these new um, sellers that basically just cloned their product and in, in a couple, you know, let's say a couple months, they had rev higher review counts than them. After spending 15 years on Amazon, these people just came in and in three months, they had higher review counts and higher uh, consumer sentiment attached to their product. And that's when, you know, basically those were the first signs of a crack in the review system that it's not working as it should be, right? It's not promoting the natural progression of what a normal seller would receive with reviews. These people were basically gaming the system unethically, I would say, and affecting the other brands that were in those categories. And there are many stories about this. And we've had many sellers, uh, you know, thank us for basically catching these fraudsters implanting fake reviews in their listings because they just wanted to go above them in ranking, right? Amazon's algorithms okay. will promote those, those uh, reviews. And then in 2016, I don't know if you remember this, Bradley, but there was this huge surge in reviews where people would write, I received this product in exchange for review as a disclaimer. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, and then Amazon, one year later, banned that and said, any review that mentions that, we're going to ban that. The problem with that is we still have those reviews, but they're just not saying that disclaimer. We still have those reviewers that are receiving. Ah. And FakeSpot detects that through patterns that we've trained our uh, machine learned models to look for, we, we can detect that and we can show that to our uh, consumers. But now it has become you know, more stealthy. These people are still doing fake reviews, still receiving incentivized reviews, but in a more stealthy manner and people don't even know about that. So Amazon, you could say that they've actually you know, packaged the problem, swept it under the carpet, but those kinds of reviews are still happening. And we, we've been tracking fake reviews percentages on Amazon's platform you know, for the last couple of years. And there's always, always a huge rise in fake reviews before the biggest shopping season events. And I'm talking about Black Friday, Christmas, Valentine's Day, uh, even Mother's Day, Father's Day. You will see a huge uptick in fake reviews a couple of weeks before that event because people want to look as good as they can for those keywords. So th the current state of Amazon is there's a huge surge in fake reviews happening in, sh in shopping season events. And they're happening all over the place. Basically, it's a Wild West uh, as a, of an e-commerce platform. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Now I just want to dive into the algorithm actually a little bit, because I don't know if you, if you know this, but we did this uh, free series on YouTube, the beginning of the year called project X, where we basically took two products from zero to hero, as we call it. You know, we, we showed people how to find the product, how to launch it on Amazon and how to get it up there. And, and I've actually, you know, been, been checking out, you know, like the fake spot on them. And it's curious to me, like we actually got bad grades as if like on one of them, uh, I'll give you the link here in the chat. I just sent you the, the, the two links. One of them had a B and now it has a D and one of them has had an F 
for a while. And, and you know, we, we didn't do anything shady with the reviews. However, what I'm thinking is, I wonder if like, you know, this show was seen by hundreds of thousands of people on YouTube and there are like fans who bought the product and, and, and even like said in the reviews, like, oh, hey, I saw Project X, you know, th this is great. So I'm just wondering if A, that maybe has to do with a bad grade because like I said, we didn't do anything shady with these yeah. reviews. And then here's one thing I want to call out for the egg tray one. You have this section in Fake Spot that that says like you know most positive review or or most authentic or least authentic and and let me just read you this review that was voted least authentic and I'm not sure if you're even looking at the same thing as me but maybe you can tell me why this might be not authentic. It says I needed a better way to store eggs in my fridge. I measured the shelf and then found that this geese chicken coop egg tray item that right there is kind of strange to me. Like I don't know why they're they're mentioning the, the, maybe that's part of it. Like why they're mentioning the whole entire title of, of, of the product. This geese chicken coop egg tray was just about the perfect fit because you made this out of wood. I was able to shave off a few millimeters and make this the absolute perfect item for my shelf. We were already using that shelf for a carton of 12 eggs with wasted space. And now we can take full advantage of the shelf to store 18 eggs. I'm happy about this item because it was a perfect fit for my fridge, but it's a great item in general. So to me, it is kind of weird. Like, like we we didn't we don't pay anybody for reviews, or we didn't we didn't have to. This was very organic thing. But but is that it? Because it just seems like they're using vocabulary that's not normal language, or, or what happened there? Yeah. So um, it's it's really difficult to pinpoint right now what exactly uh, triggered that red flag for our engines because I would need my team to like dig into it. We at any point in time we have we're analyzing hundreds of products at any second on fakespot.com mm -hmm. for our users. So um, there's a lot of data to be you know, dug through, but if it, if it gave it an F grade, then it has found patterns of some kind of unreliability attached to the reviews, where if a neutral consumer was reading these reviews, they wouldn't be able to get as much insight as if they were from an authentic review set. So without me taking you know, like a deeper look at this, uh, it's, it's hard for me to tell you exactly what's going on, but I can tell you also, um, on first glance on the the egg tray product that you sent to me, there's also a lot of promotional reviews appearing here and there. Those programs will trigger certain alerts, but they will not penalize it all the way to an F grade. So that means there had to be a combination mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, a couple of things that triggered that F grade. The earlier early reviewer rewards program, there's nothing wrong with it. If you're seeding your product and okay. you don't have any reviews, obviously Amazon encourages people to do this. And, you know, obviously for, uh, you know, monetary reasons, also they encourage to do that. They also have the Vine review program, which I'm sure you're familiar yes. with. But we have noticed in these programs that the reviewers that partake or are members of these programs, they're basically abusing ah. their privileges, right? They, they're just yeah. getting products for free. They're just writing out reviews, you know, like hundreds a day. They're writing 10 reviews a day. And, you know, it, 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 you can't do that. And I'll give you my own personal experience on this, you know, unrelated to fake spot, unrelated to the, to what we're talking about today. You know, I wanted to buy a Bluetooth headphone that would work in the gym when gyms were open. And this, this headphone had to be uh, waterproof, sweatproof, right? And I was looking at a very reputable brand from Manhattan and I was like, okay, cool. They just launched a new product and they, they're attesting that it's going to be sweatproof. I looked at the reviews and this product didn't even launch yet on their site, but it had 30 reviews, right? And all the reviews okay. were from promotional 
seeded reviews uh, where they gave the product out as a sample and these people were writing reviews and they were all part of the Vine review program or, or early review rewards program, right? And one of them in particular, okay. um, you know, I singled out specifically because you, the the person, you know, so this was a, like a higher end manufacturer and I know that you're into music, I am into music and we would appreciate that if this brand is related to audiophile, um, you know, level audio on their headphones, you would expect that also from their product. So that, that's what I was expecting, those kinds of reviews. And all the reviews that were from a promotional nature, these guys were not audiophiles, A. And B, they didn't know what they were talking about. They said, I, I listened to my podcast through this headphone. And I, I can tell you for a fact, a genuine review that has a genuine brand follower that just bought this product would never say, I listened with these headphones just to listen to a podcast. You can do that with any headphone in the world, right? You wouldn't write a review about mm-hmm. that. But that shows the problem with the promotional uh, programs that Amazon has set up and other websites have set up. These people are not experts in their own category. They're, they're going to write a really general review. They're going to say, okay, it works. The audio works like any headphone would work. Uh, maybe I had some battery issues here and there, and maybe I had some Bluetooth hiccups. But that's not what a neutral consumer would want to read it. You know, like if I'm if I know this brand is related with high audio quality and maybe it's related to even, uh, you know, like audio uh, engineers and things like that. If an audio engineer read the review saying my podcast sounded fine through the, these headphones, they would laugh at that. They're like, they'll be like, why are they why are they even commenting about this? Like this has nothing to do with the brand or nothing to do with the product. And my, my point okay. is, my point is the promotional reviewers, uh, some of these people do this for a living right? They get products, then they resell it on eBay. And that's basically their, their careers, their professional reviewers. And yeah. we find that those kinds of reviews are not uh, of high value to the normal consumer because it's, it's just, it doesn't give as much detail that a genuine reviewer would leave for this kind of product. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, you know, obviously I would say the main audience of you and the people who would be using this is like you a few years ago where, where you, you were just like dismayed that you bought this product that had all these reviews and, and, and you were, you felt, you know, uh, cheated almost. So it's the end user, you know, the people to try and trust the products. But what about on the seller side? Like how could, you know, our Amazon seller, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of listeners who, who all sell on Amazon. How could they use your tool to maybe help them? I mean, is it competitive research? Is it, you know, looking to, into their own products or, or how could they use fake spot? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. Remember, FakeSpot was not designed for sellers. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was designed for consumers, neutral consumers that are shopping online that do not want to be duped by unreliable reviews. And that's what we call these reviews, unreliable or reliable at FakeSpot. And if you're a consumer using our tool, we, you'll be able to say that, you know, in a, in a couple of seconds, you'll be able to know if you can look at these reviews and actually take the information that they write and take it under consideration when you're buying the product. For sellers, um, we've had a couple features, you know, over the years that a lot of sellers actually liked. A lot of the genuine sellers that have been, you know, uh, not buying fake reviews, not implanting fake reviews on their listings, they love us, right? They always send uh, send us really grateful messages. Uh, we've been featured on the media a couple times on CNBC and the like, where we actually um, American-based sellers use our tool and they showcased. Um, where these sellers from abroad came in and just, you know, had hundreds of five-star reviews that were completely fake, right? And Amazon wasn't doing anything about it until 
this seller went to the media and said, hey, guys, there's something completely off here. I'm actually losing money today and I can't do anything about this. I'm reporting this to Amazon. I can't do anything about it. So sellers are using us in that way, too, with the media attention. And also, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of sellers on Amazon will actually reference our grade in their description. They will they'll say this is fake spot A graded or this is fake spot verified. And actually, a lot of websites do this uh, currently where they leverage our grading system to promote their product. And we see even reviewers mentioning that they're like, I, I appreciate the fact that this company mentioned their A grade, fake spot A grade, because uh, I use fake spot personally. And I, I just like the fact that this company is looking at that fact. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk more about, you know, maybe your suggestions for Amazon sellers, because, you know, it's kind of a balancing act. You know, like you said, sometimes using the early reviewer program or Vine is yeah. one of the only ways that people can get new reviews when they start. And it's very critical. But at the same time, where's that line where it's like, wait a minute, it's bringing down the review like it like it looks like it has on, on our Project X product, amongst other reasons. But like, what do you suggest? I mean, I, I still suggest that they should do it because I think the majority of buyers, you know, might be just interested in that number in the beginning. Yeah. But what are some tips as far as that goes? So there's nothing wrong with following up with your uh, with your clients and telling, you know, whoever bought your product and saying, if you really enjoyed our product, we would really appreciate if you could write a review for us. There's there's absolutely nothing mm -hmm. wrong with following up and asking that. Yep. And there's a lot of brands that do this. Uh, we're talking about the biggest brands from the biggest to the smallest. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I would say when you have a product that um, you have, let's say, a couple hundred reviews and over 90% of them are from promotional programs. I think that's not a really good look. You know, uh, that means that, that, that does not indicate that there's a lot of people actually buying this product and it indicates, so that artificial, it's already an artificial rating, right? You've, you've yeah. pushed it to become an artificial rating because you have hundreds of promotional reviews while the minority are from genuine consumers. And also we see people where, you know, the genuine reviews are, let's say, pretty negative, one star, one star, one star. And then uh, sellers will use the promotional programs to pump up the rating, right? While there's some kind of flaw in the product. I would say, um, you know, invest more in, in fixing that flaw before pushing it with fake reviews and uh, things like that. So I think that's, you know, emphasize the consumer, be a consumer centric um, seller, just like Amazon is. However, one thing I want to point out is with the promotional programs, uh, especially Vine, if you, if you search Amazon's in-house brands, in-house branded products on, on their platform, a lot of their product reviews are actually sourced from the Vine review program and the early reviewer program and other programs that they don't even talk about. Um, that skews the opinion of what the product quality is in reality. And actually, a lot of these people, so like if Amazon gives out a product through the Vine review program, as a professional reviewer, and I'm going to ask you this, Bradley, are you going to be more inclined to write a one-star or a five-star review if it's Amazon sending their own product to you, like an Amazon Basics product? I mean, I, I think the average person would be more inclined to you know, give a good review if they're you know, getting like some kind of kickbacks from Amazon or, or they know they're part of this program. I, I would just assume that that's, that's the case more, more likely to give four or five star reviews. Yeah. I mean, it's a, there's definitely a bias involved here. You're, you're getting an instruction from the company that hosts the product to write a review. 
And most of the time, people will be writing positive reviews because they don't want to get kicked out of the Vine review program, right? That, that's part of their, uh, uh-huh. that's, that, that's part of their uh, you know, uh, life. And they want to continue writing reviews. And that's, you know, I'm just pointing this out. I think that's a huge flaw in the system. And right now, there's no governance around this concept. And the problem is, and this is why um, a lot of sellers are partaking in this because they have to, to compete, right? And fake spot completely understands that. That's why we don't, you know, if we were to take under account the promotional reviews and the whole game that's happening, we would be giving F grades left and right. But we don't do that because we mm-hmm. understand that sellers need to seed reviews. They need to uh, push that rating up at the beginning when they launch the product. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's just the name of the game right now. And to compete with other sellers, you have to do that. If you're competing against Amazon's products, uh, good luck to you. There's no way you can win because if you if you just search an Amazon Basics product, such as the, their batteries that they're selling on Amazon, they have close to 50 to 80,000 reviews, right? Now, yeah. Bradley, tell me, how many people on the street, if you go tell them, hey, can you write a review for a battery? How many of them will say, okay, I'll do it? I, I don't know anybody who, who would want why, to. In the first place, why would you want to write a review about a battery pack? Like, there, yeah. there's nothing to say. It either worked or it didn't work, right? But if, right. you go, if you go to the level of 50,000, 80,000 people, then there's something off here, right? And that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. That's uh, a part of this whole e-commerce system where it, it's painting this, this perfect picture world, but there's a lot of cracks behind this world. And that's what, you know, FakeSpot, what we're trying to do and what we're going to be trying to do in, in, the, in the next couple of months with our, uh, you know, B2C offering for our users and hopefully this will benefit also the sellers that are genuine in the game, actually beat a lot of these, um, you know, Goliaths that are in their, in their categories, in these platforms, to actually emphasize trust and transparency. Because we've noticed that over the last couple of years, trust and transparency has been going downhill. It's actually through the drain right now. And whether we're talking about reviews or comments or upvotes, downvotes, you know, those things are gamed right now on Amazon. People competitive. I was going to ask you about that. Like if that, if that's part of your algorithm too, analyzing yeah. those up and down votes. They are, they are completely part of our algorithm because we've, we've noticed a huge surge in competitors actually implanting, you know, like uh, upvoting the most uh, harmful review, even though it's like one review out of a thousand and it looks really, really bad to the person reading it. It, it is not a good game, right? It's, it's happening everywhere right now. And whether we're talking about Amazon, these same problems affect Walmart. The same problem affects Sephora, which are other websites we're supporting on, on fakespot.com. And that's something that as a mission, as this company, as, we've, as we're growing over the last couple of years, that's something that we want to build upon. We want to bring back the trust and transparency that has been lacking in the internet. Because a lot of these uh, companies have exploited gray areas, right? And that's part of their uh, monumental growth and monumental surge going forward as, a, as companies and as profit-making. But a lot of the trust and transparency has been in the backseat, and a lot of people have lost, uh, lost trust and transparency on these platforms. And we want to resolve that problem with FakeSpot and with our offerings. Okay, cool, cool. So where do you see yourselves like next year? Like what, what would be different about FakeSpot? Like, I mean, are you working with any you know, retailers, be it Amazon or anybody else, to possibly in the future you know, them use you as, as part of a basis for, for removing reviews or things like that? Because I know that is obviously on, on the mind of, I mean, it doesn't take fake spot to know a seller 
that that just opened up yesterday and all of a sudden has thousand reviews. Hey, this is something gaming the system, but there's like no real way to like kind of prove that to like, hey, Amazon, can you take action? Like they don't always do that. I mean, are, are you guys talking to Walmart or Amazon or anybody to, to possibly use you guys systematically at all? Well, that, that's that's always a possibility in the future. Uh, I'm more interested in uh, in our normal users that are shopping online, that we're protecting them and that we're ensuring that we're providing them um, the most trustworthy reviews, the most reliable reviews as they're shopping online. And that's the whole purpose of what fakespot.com is right now. And I don't know if you know this, but if you install our Chrome extension, we have uh, a new feature called fakespot guard. And uh, have you have you tried that out, by the way? No. Oh, what, what does that do? So we actually, we're moving away just from grading reviews. We're actually grading now the third-party sellers that are in the buy box. And what, what happens here is we've, we've found that there's a lot of third-party uh, sellers. And this probably won't affect a lot of your uh, listeners because they don't have these problems. But these are more fly-by-night sellers that are selling counterfeits, that are selling fake products, that are selling defective uh, products. And we will be able to detect those kinds of issues with Facebook Guard. So we're now ensuring protection for the consumer, not just from the reviews uh, perspective and the reliability of the reviews, but also from the third-party seller perspective. Interesting. And then that's live right now? I mean, that's available? Yes, that's available right now on the Chrome extension. Okay. Yeah, I mean, with both of these things, I mean, I, mean I, I, can, I can think of some use. And like I said, you know, none of this is obviously perfect. You know, you guys aren't psychic over there. Just like, hey, sometimes there might be some strange things that come up like on project X where there's no fake reviews, but it seems that way just because of what we did and made it like a, a, a case study. And, and we got some fans posting on there, but for the most part, it, it seems pretty good. But how I would use it is, is like, if I'm doing product research as an Amazon seller, like maybe I found some opportunity. I'm like, Ooh, this looks like there's some low competition here. I'm going to get in on this niche. But then I start running, first of all, the review fake spot. And then I notice there's just, it just seems like across the board, there's a whole bunch of manipulation in my mind that might almost make me stay away. I, I could go about it two ways. I could, I could look at it two ways on one side. I can be like, Hey, these are maybe some black hat sellers. And if they're willing to manipulate reviews, you know, are these the kind of guys who are going to start screwing me up and, and like attack my listing or hijack me or, 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 or upvote bad reviews for me or on the flip side, if I'm thinking like, Hey, if everybody can see through all this nonsense, you know, that, that these people have fake reviews and they see me with some genuine ones, maybe that's a good thing. So there's two ways there. And on the other side, looking at, you know, if, if you're talking about the, you know, uh, analyzing the, the sellers, that would be another thing. Like if I'm looking in a niche and I do see maybe a whole bunch of sellers that, that are pretty shady, I could maybe reason that, Hey, you know, this, this might be a little bit more risky to jump into because shady sellers are the ones who do the hijacking and, and, yeah. and who do kind of black hat tactics to get to page one. And maybe I want to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, I would say even if you're analyzing the sellers and you see a lot of fraudulent sellers on a listing, that could also be an opportunity for you. If you're, you know, if you're completely legit, and you want to enter this kind of market and you see that all these sellers have issues, then you, you can enter that as a trustworthy seller and be promoted. Because what Amazon's algorithms are doing right now, you know, if there's three fraudulent sellers selling third party, they have to pick one of them. It doesn't matter who it is, but they have to pick one of them True. to get, they get that. But if there was a fourth one that is, uh, has better consumer feedback, that has a better history as a seller, then the buy box will naturally promote that seller. And that's something that definitely um, the sellers can use from from this angle. And when you're, I mean, you've got really interesting scenarios there about the black hat sellers and 
gray hat sellers in certain categories. And I'm talking about like the, let's say the tiny electronic categories that are, you know, these unlicensed products that you can buy from Alibaba, then plaster a logo on them and then start selling them on Amazon. Those products usually will have a lot of competition going on. Not only a lot of competition, they'll have a lot of fake reviews left and right. And it's just like a wild west. Interesting. You've been giving us a lot of tips and strategies throughout this episode, but we have a part of the show we call the t- or the TST 30 second tip. So what can you close this out? Like uh, something you haven't mentioned today it could be about reviews, could be about finding bugs in Microsoft, whatever, something that can take o- only 30 seconds for you to say, but, but maybe <laughs> highly actionable for our uh, listeners. Yeah. Um, so I actually will give a tip using fakespot.com. We actually provide historical analysis data at the bottom of the reports. If you scroll down, we'll show you review count over time and we'll show you price changes over time. So if you're doing research on a competitor or something like that, you can see actually if Amazon has removed and deleted reviews off a listing. If there's a big um, decrease uh, that goes all the way down in the graph, then you know something changed there. You can also find out if, uh, if a seller or a brand has actually hijacked reviews and exchanged and swapped the ASINs and put it as a variation through looking at those um, graphs. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, so thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about, about how, you know, how they look at different niches when they're doing product research and, and how they uh, examine their own, uh, you know, their own listing. So if somebody wants to, you know, try out your, your free Chrome extensions or, or maybe to find you on the interwebs to, to get some more information, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, so uh, people can actually go on fixbot.com and we're all the way at the bottom where you can contact us at any point in time. My team will pick up the email and we'll be able to, to chat anytime. All right. Sounds good. We'll, we'll see you on the show maybe next year. And, and let's see if you've maybe, uh, you know, after cracking Microsoft, maybe you've cracked Apple now or something like that. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for your time, Bradley.